let's talk about making uh, a practical difference. Like that's that's kind of what the the subject you raised, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, was was what comes next, and you know, talking about all the the theories, and then okay, what what do we actually do? What's where's the duty? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so this is a this is a big question. Yeah, we so kind of rolling back. Yeah, we've been talking for the last you know couple times about uh, big ideas like what is transhumanism, what kind of big obstacles are facing the world, what can we do to overcome them, uh, things like that, and um, and so now now we're saying okay, so those are all great ideas. What can we do to um, actually have a positive impact? Do pra- take practical effort, and um, and so forth. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, um, just kind of uh, off off the top of your head, or kind of starting off here. Um, w- do you have any kind of thoughts about what that should look like, or? what it could look like or anything like that? Well, um, when I was thinking about this, the, the big, my, my main thought was what is ethical? What is the ethical Hmm. solutions? Because there's lots of solutions, but they're not necessarily what's best for everybody. So, and I know that's a hard thing to, you know, how do you, how do you do what's best for everybody? But um, just the idea of, why this is being done is obviously, you know, you're, you're trying to do good. You're mm-hmm. trying to be good. You're trying to do what, what is right. And so what is the right thing to do? What is, so I guess, how do you decide the, the question is, how do you decide what is right, right. in terms of ethics? I know that's a really big question, <laughs> but, sure. but and when you're talking about, saving the world, you know, it has to start, <laughs> has yeah. to start somewhere because there's lots of ways, you know, Hitler thought he was saving the world too. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's, I mean, I'm not, you know, yeah. <laughs> so um, just in terms of the, the overall idea I get from transhumanism is that death is evil. I guess. Is that, mm-hmm. is that a fair statement? That's a, that's a pretty, yeah, that's a pretty common, uh, feeling. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's a fair statement. I would, I would probably nuance that, uh, for myself, but yeah, that's a, that's a common right. sentiment. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, yes, we can go, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but, but how do you go from metaphor, or, sorry, not metaphor, well, metaphysical solutions, like, you okay. know, to, to answers to death to, yeah. to, okay, this is how we, this is how we beat mm-hmm. the bad guy right. who is death. Yeah. So, so I know that's, so, you know, I had to backtrack. I know you asked mm-hmm. me a simple question before. <laughs> yeah. Follow it, follow it back, dig it up. And then, you know, yeah. but so how, so when you're talking about death and the practical solutions of, cheating death or not mm-hmm. cheating, but you know what I mean? Just yeah. defeating, like mm-hmm. I said, the bad guy, mm-hmm. what does that look like? And a lot of times I, I could see it in terms of, it's not so much, Oh, making peace with our, our mm-hmm. death, which is what religion and a lot of things 
not always, but you know, that's, yeah, that's one answer. How, how, how that's one answer. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, what are the practical solutions to that? How, Mm -hmm. how do we live forever? (laughs) What does that look like? How does that happen? So is it, and does everybody want that? That's another thing. Is it fair to force that on everybody? Maybe people want to die. Maybe what about the people who are at peace with dying? How does, what does that look like? How do you decide who lives and dies? So, so there's all these ethical ideas. Mm -hmm. So even though, even if you can implement some live forever machine, right. What, what about the people who say no? Right. So, hmm. so that's, so that's, yeah. that's just kind of where my thoughts went. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, let's, let, okay. So let's start with the, uh, the idea of death is evil. And, um, uh, so, you know, f- first of all, uh, the, in, in transhumanism, you know, I would summarize the basic idea of transhumanism as um, we can and should make things better. Okay, so that's kind of been the the um, the interpretation or you know broad idea of that that I've been uh, you know kind of pushing is that it's just it's it's a sort of um, sort of optimism, but but really a kind of proactive approach to say you know. We're not, uh, we shouldn't be content with the way things are. We shouldn't be content with uh, the bad things that are happening in the world. We should see what we can do to make, make those things better. We should see what we can do to, to improve those. And so, yeah, one of the big things for um, a lot of transhumanists, but not all transhumanists um, by any means, is, um, is death, you know, and death is, um, is a bad thing that happens in our world. So, um, you know, what, what should we, what should we do about it? And this is, um, as you kind of like indicated, this is where, uh, transhumanism actually tends to have a lot of conflict with, uh, with religion and religious people and so forth, because the assumption, um, from a lot of different angles or corners of the world is that religion is about accepting death and then the you know small kind of minority of transhumanists are um, people who do not accept death and um, and so that's certainly how transhumanists often perceive it uh, and so you know they'll they'll talk about um, a deathist culture that wants to you know that really kind of embraces death and um, uh, tries to tries to you know see it as a good thing and so forth and uh, some of them will see it see this as a, a decadent impulse you know I, I, um, an impulse away from life and and goodness and so forth um, so that can definitely be a huge uh, huge thing and it's often been a big controversy I think between Christians and secular transhumanists, um, Christians who are not transhumanists and, and transhumanists who are not Christians, is that is this sense that Christianity wants us to, to just hurry up and die, in, in essence, and, right. um, and uh, transhumanism wants to, wants to stay alive. And, you know, when you think about it, uh, Christianity has, has a lot to say about things like self-sacrifice and thus about death and, and, um, 
and so forth. So you can certainly kind of um, understand where that sense comes from. Um, and then we, talk, we, we don't have to go back into it, but we talked last time about how, you know, in a lot of kind of popular Christianity, um, there's also the sense that uh, our ultimate destination is just to, you know, get as far away from this place as possible. And uh, that's, that's how heaven is defined, um, anywhere but here. And so uh, death is, is then the, you know, the, the gateway to that, right? It's, in fact, the only, only gateway to that. Um, so, yeah, just to kind of, just kind of pose the, the, um, the conundrum here or the dilemma um, in a, you know, its starkest form, that's often how this conversation unfolds and how this conversation you know, looks to a lot of people. So I would want to suggest that that this that way of framing things um, is uh, is reading things all wrong. And um, so just from the Christian side, you know, let, let's take it from there um, initially. I would say that Christianity is not about embracing death. Christianity is about overcoming death. And, um, you know, I think you can, you can kind of roll back to the, the Genesis account um, and, you know, where, where death is this kind of uh, imposition uh, on the world. It's not the way, um, you know, things are, are ultimately intended to be um, for humans. And, um, but, you know, but things kind of go wrong. And so now we live in a world where we... we um, we do die, um, and yet, uh, you know, what we see in, uh, throughout the Old Testament is this embrace of life in the face of death and over and against death. You know, we see um, uh, the, the value of life continually uh, upheld, and ultimately then we get to, to Jesus and to resurrection from the dead. Right, and so in in that we we don't have um, a feeling that uh, you know it's great to die because that just gets us to heaven. Um, we get a feeling that it's great to overcome death, <laughs> that to the extent that we can um, undo death through resurrection, as Jesus Himself does, or through the resurrection of of Lazarus, or um, through, through the other various people in the New Testament who, you know, come back from death or the brink of death or something like that or are healed of a, of a deadly illness, we get this sense that it's, it's not about saying, oh, you know, great, let's embrace death and, you know, because on the other side is all the good stuff. It's the sense that, no, um, the mission of God and the mission of Christianity is to de- defeat death, to undo it where it is, um, and and then to to replace it with life. Um, does that does that make sense? Does that sound at least vaguely coherent? <laughs> yes, yes, it does. So, um, so yeah, the so what I would want to suggest though is that the way Christianity frames death is actually way way bigger than um, a lot of people think about. And, uh, 
you know, might be um, talked about in some of the conversations with about transhumanism. The way Christianity frames death is that, you know, death is um, the kind of ultimate enemy of humanity in a very big sense, in the sense of, um, of disease is, is an aspect of death, um, the sense that slavery is an aspect of death, oppression is an aspect of death, um, all of the, the ways in which humans treat each other uh, badly, um, you know, are, are part of, uh, as, as one of my um, friends say, says, uh, death and all his friends, right? So <laughs> this, is, this is all part of a, a kind of comprehensive package. And um, uh, if, I'd, if I'd prepared um, better, I would uh, quote you specific Bible verses uh, with where, I, th- I think it's the book of Hebrews, talks about um, uh, Christ appearing to destroy him who has the power of death and to free all those who through fear of death were all their lives um, subject to bondage. And so there's this sense that, um, that death is not just, oh, you know, we get to be 80 years old and we die. But death is this kind of looming presence in human life. It has this psychological effect on us, and it fills us with fear. And because we're filled with fear, then we act in ways that are self-destructive. We act in ways that um, keep us trapped. We act in ways that destroy other people. Um, And so there's this whole kind of big ecosystem of death and sin and fear and the devil and all this that, you know, in the New Testament is all wrapped into one big thing. <laughs> and um, so, I, you know, so um, I would say, I, you know, m- my position would be like, absolutely, Christianity is about the defeat of death. And part of our role as Christians is to engage in, in um, the defeat, but maybe more, you know, significantly um, put, just pushing it back. And, you know, when Jesus was going around healing uh, people's sicknesses and so forth, he wasn't, you know, that wasn't the final defeat of, of that particular kind of sickness. That was, you know, that was like, it matters to this one, right? We're, we're kind of pushing this back off uh, out of the world to the extent possible. And so all of this, you know, connects together to where when we feed the hungry, when we free the captives, when we... Uh, heal the sick, um, then we're engaging in the same kind of process uh, of moving death back, moving uh, death um, off off the scene, and bringing life in to replace it. So, um, so we can talk about all kinds of things like you know life extension and all that kind of stuff. But I would I would first want to contextualize it as that as first of all saying, yeah, de- Christianity is about the defeat of death, and that's a far bigger issue and a far bigger problem and a far bigger effort than uh, just something like, okay, now we got an immortality pill and uh, there we go. Does that, right. <laughs> does that, uh, so, and, and so part, you know, part of the reason to say that is to say that some of these nuanced questions about, um, you know, uh, um, are, are we, you know, what about people who are happy with dying and all that kind of stuff? Um, I I would tend to see that as not uh, just a zero or one answer. Um, 
I think uh, whenever we, you know, bring new life or bring a better quality of life or um, or whatever it might be, then um, then we're working on that kind of defeat of death, regardless of whether you know this person makes choices that help them live an extra five years or ten years or twenty years, or make choices that don't do that. You know, does that make sense? I know I'm kind of going like. Way, no, way. no, it it does make sense. I, I get what you're saying, that um, death isn't necessarily aging or disease or any of those things in mm-hmm. and of itself, that death is the thing that scares us or the thing that's out there or the thing that is influencing bad behavior. And how mm-hmm. do you, is that what you're saying basically is that how do you defeat the influence of yeah, yeah, okay. um, I yeah, I think so. And you know, I I kind of uh, you know, the Apostle Paul to me kind of connects these things that are really tight, um, tight bundle. And it's almost like um, you know, like like talking about sin and death and the devil. Like it's almost like these things can be used almost interchangeably for him. And um, I think that's because he he sees these as as having a really um, a causative connection. And uh, this is probably a, a big tangent, but I, I think one of the things that, that we see in the Genesis account um, is that, that humans um, gain the sense that they are mortal and that what that sense then... Um, brings to them is is this incredible fear and um and that's something that's unique and i think uh you you don't have to be religious to see that it's unique from from any kind of perspective animals in general don't have a sense that they are mortal beings with a looming death you know um, we, we seem to be the only being that has the kind of level of consciousness or imagining of the future or whatever it is that allows us to think forward, you know, 60 years and be like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be here anymore. And what, or the animals have already figured it all yeah, out yeah, way right. ahead of us. <laughs> maybe, they have, yeah, maybe they've already passed that point. They've transcended, <laughs> and they've got this all, all worked out. So, yeah, whichever one of those things that it seems to be, we seem to be the ones who, like, struggle with this, right? We're mm-hmm. the ones who are, like, uh, freaked out about uh, our own death. And, um, you know, maybe we don't think we are a lot of times, but a lot of times that manifests in other ways. And one of the, one of the things that, um, like a, a kind of great example, um, of, of how death can, can do things to us that, um, that just the knowledge of our own death can do things to us is if, if you think about, um, threatening someone. And, um, if you, you know, I'm, I'm not a pet person, so, you know, maybe you might have to correct me if I, if I kind of miss, uh, misunderstand animals, but, um, you know, I, I think if you have a dog or a cat or something like that, and, um, you don't have, uh, you don't have a, you know, ongoing relationship with it, but you want to, uh, like you can take it and you can lock it up. 
right? Or, and you could tie it up, um, and you could make it stay in a certain place by, you know, physically kind of erecting a wall. Um, but what's much harder, it seems to me, with animals is to um, to do the same thing uh, by threatening. And with human beings, you can say something like, "If you leave this um, this area, then I will um, hurt all of your family, or I will do this terrible thing to you in the future." And um, and because humans can imagine what that is, we can think forward enough to um, to you know to to be afraid of that and to be worried about that threat. Then that has an impact on us, right? If someone threatens me, it has an impact on me whether or not um, you know whether or not they're even able to to uh, perform that threat, right? Um, right. So they can use my own fear of death and suffering to control me in a way that I think is impossible with animals. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So, um, so we have this, you know, ability to envision the future. These, you know, huge brains that allow us to conceptualize um, possibilities. And that allows us to be controlled in a way that no other being can be controlled. And so it's, it's a really paradoxical situation where we're like, oh, this is great to be able to imagine a future. But also, now we're actually subject to threats. Now threats actually have uh, control over us. Now um, the possibility of dying in a certain way can actually shape my actions in a way that um, if we weren't aware of that possibility, if we couldn't hear threats, if we couldn't understand threats, would not be an issue at all. And so when, um, when in the New Testament it says, you know, through fear of death, we're all their lives uh, held subject to bondage, I think, you know, I think it's saying essentially we all live in this. We live in this, this world where because we can, because we have these capabilities, because we're aware of our own mortality, we are always subject to fear taking hold of us and controlling us in ways that um, that are are just incredible. When you know, and and we're just so much so that we're you know barely even aware of them uh, right. most of the time, and um, and so. You know, from from very early parts of human history, uh, humans are are some of the most violent, one of the most violent species ever, and I think it 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 is because because we emerge with this because suddenly humanity is gripped with fear, and by con- by this controlling fear is driven to try to. Um, uh, you know, establish control or establish power by virtue of violence, the very thing that's, that's uh, imposing the fear. So anyway, that's, that's a tangent. I'm, uh, I'm a big kind of, um, uh, nerd about that kind of stuff. Uh, so, but, um, but so yeah, we, we live in this, this whole ecosystem of, of death, um, it having this kind of control over us and, um, and I think that Christianity has an answer to death. Um, 
and that that answer ultimately is the the one embodied and embraced by by Jesus in uh, in in the cross, which is that um, he refuses to be defined by the fear that's present. He refuses to be defined by the violence that's present, and instead he chooses to be defined by love and compassion. And in that, um, then you know, what we see in the resurrection story is, is um, that identity that he holds to, uh, his identity as compassion and, and, um, and so forth, triumphs over um, the entire might of the Roman Empire and ultimately shows it to be um, weak and futile. And so Jesus rises from the dead um, because, because Jesus is, is the answer to how, you know, how do we how do we escape this? What, what's the way out? Um, and Jesus embodies it and he shows us what that, what that looks like. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's big, you know, big, big theological uh, topics. But that's how I would want to frame any kind of Christian engagement with the issues of the world um, is, mm-hmm. is simply that we are, we are in this process of bringing life um, and undoing fear, um, and, and bringing love in its, in its place. Um, so, uh, so yeah, <laughs> that brings up all, all kinds of questions. Um, and, uh, y- you know, and, and the answers to those, I might not, you know, I might not have, um, uh, you know, perfect answers to all that, but, um, but yeah, let's talk. Let's talk specifically about like life extension. Um, so, what, what, what can you say again? What were some of your questions about kind of life extension or um, uh, immortality pills or <laughs> whatever? Oh, I mean, well, of course, the first thing I think of is the archetypes of what you said, death friends. I guess mm-hmm. you have. You know Voldemort and Darth Vader and yeah, <laughs> those yeah. people. Those that those are the people who. What's what is their driving force? Their motivation is I don't want to die. And of right. course, then they are they do all the horrible things. Right. So so that's those are the stories we tell, mm-hmm. and is basically a cautionary tale of don't don't try to live forever. That's not the point, you mm-hmm. know. And so what is your reaction to those cautionary tales of, yeah. of, of how do you feel about star Wars and Harry Potter? Right. When that's the ultimate, that that's the moral, that's right. the lesson that you're, ta- that's your takeaway yeah, is, yeah. is no, don't, no, yeah. don't, don't try to do this because you're going to turn evil if you try. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that I think about, um, you know, I think I think we. There, I have several kind of different feelings about it. One is is that you know this is a way of of kind of coming to grips with um, uh, our our sense of of the tragedy of the world. You know, so we we have a sense that that there's a lot of tragedy in the world, and um, how do we deal with that? And you know, one of the ways is is to um, try to it, it, kind of a sour grapes thing, right. Is to say, Oh, well, we're better off without that anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Like 
we're better off without a world that's, um, you know, where people are healthy and happy and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and we see a lot of things like that, um, like dystopian uh, stories, dystopian movies. And, I, you know, those are, those are kind of cautionary tales, too. A lot of times they show us something like, you know, on the surface it looks like the society is great. But underneath, you know, it's got the dark underbelly, the, you know, the, the deep secret that's actually running things. Um, right. And that's kind of like H.G. Uh, Wells' The Time Machine. Um, and uh, do, do you remember that story? Yes and no. Okay. But that's a whole other story. My yeah. story, I have, I have an interesting relationship with The Time Machine, but that's another, <laughs> that's another story for another time. So oh, okay. you, you go on. <laughs> Well, so, um, I mean, you know, the, the, the basic idea is that he, he goes into the distant, distant future and, you know, there's this kind of paradise world, um, where, you know, all these people are living in, in leisure and, um, you know, but over time he realizes that they're just very childlike, that they are not, um, you know, they, they seem very, in some ways very intelligent and very, you know, evolved or something like that, but, but um, they're also like incredibly uh, primitive in other ways. And then he uh, discovers that there's this whole underground race of Morlocks who are um, who are harvesting these people. You know, ra- you know, essentially raising them as food and then killing them and eating them. And they're the actual intelligent uh, people. Um, and you know, so it's it, that's a kind of a classic. Uh, dystopian thing, you know, where, oh, things look great, but actually there's a deep, you know, dark secret actually running this, this thing. And, um, uh, you know, Elysium, uh, recent movie, um, is a little bit like that. It, it kind of leads with the premise. So you already know, but, you know, it has, um, the rich people living on a space station where every disease is cured, um, they're always healthy. Everyone lives in this perfect lifestyle. Um, and then there's the rest of the world who lives, you know, in abject poverty, um, on earth and, you know, the, and never the, the two shall meet, right? There's this, this hard divide between them. There's and, an atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, so, you know, we, we do tell a lot of these kind of dystopian, stories that are like that where we have something that seems really good and then we show that there's this whole other side to it and that it actually leads to something bad um and you know to the like i think those stories are good and have often served a good kind of purpose in our history i do think i am i am getting to the point where i think they're a little overdone. Like I think we we've seen a lot of that. That's that's our almost our baseline assumption when going into a story about a a world that is much better, you know, than than the one we live in. We assume, oh, there's something deep and dark, you know, going on here. And it almost gets it's almost to the point where it's hard for us to tell any kind of stories about positive, um, you know, po- uh, you know, positive alternatives to. Uh, the current um, world. So, I, you know, I think we, we need some people with a little bit broader imaginations um, telling stories. But 
that that said, I think that you know there's a there's a, a definite use for that kind of genre. That's one thing that's happening. Um, the other thing that's happening, uh, which I think is um, a, a trend, I agree with a lot more. Uh, you know, I think is what you what you're identifying in Star Wars and um, and Harry Potter and and these kinds of things is um, that we see a ultimately we we're seeing a tension between um, some kind of some kind of character who seeks um, immortality for themselves um, at the expense of everyone else. And, um, so, you know, this seems to be, I'm not like the hugest, uh, I'm not like Harry Potter person. So maybe <laughs> you want to fill in some details, but I think Voldemort is, um, basically like stealing power from other people and kind of, um, well, he, he splits his soul into seven pieces, right? eight pieces actually. And mm -hmm. in order to do that, you have to kill and, and he is a, I mean, J.K. Rowling, the author, even said, you know, he was a parallel to to Hitler because mm -hmm. he was trying to pursue this pure blood race. And right. So anyway, so that that's that, that's Baltimore. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but the, but he has no redeemable qualities. Right. Zero. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. Yeah. So yeah, the um, but you know that character is. Um, you know, he, yeah, he's killing people. He's you know engaging in in very destructive behaviors to pursue this agenda of kind of power and um, and so forth. That's very, very, very focused on himself. You know, it doesn't doesn't have that many positive benefits for um, for anybody else, really. You know, he's not envisioning a uh, a future where. Um, you know, all the, uh, the muggles are, you know, happy and healthy too, right? Like this yeah. is, this is a positive future for a very small group of people at the, uh, at the profound expense of the much larger group of people. Right. Right. And, and so then you have a contrast between that and, uh, kind of a Harry Potter character who, befriend you know his, his friend group is kind of like this ragtag band of misfits and um he's much more connected to um the broader world he cares about the broader world he cares about muggles and even more than the rest of the the um the wizard people do um and um and so he you know and he's willing to sacrifice himself in order that there would be greater life for uh, for everyone else, is that is that a, a fair uh, characterization of the story? Yeah, that's, that's that's pretty fair, and and I mean it is a it is an archetype that you will see over and over and over. You know, the yeah. hero, um, Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter, Jesus, right. Right. Um, Neo, they're all they're all the same, and I um, I forget his name. The Campbell can't think of his Joseph first name. Campbell. Who wrote? Hmm? Joseph Campbell. Yes, the guy who wrote all the, you know, the power of myth and all those. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. I mean, he explores those mm -hmm. those archetypes, and so again, like I said, these are these are the stories we tell, and we tell them for a reason. Yeah. And I think that you know it is important to tell 
it's important to pay attention to how we tell stories and why we tell the stories, same stories over and over and over right. again. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, my question for these kinds of stories and the question I ask when I look at a lot of media is, you know, is this um, pessimistic or is it heroic? And so I think, you know, I think Jesus and and Harry Potter and Luke Skywalker <laughs> and all these people, they're embracing I, um, a heroism, which is um, they're still trying to defeat death. They're you know they're not they're not embracing death. You know Luke Skywalker is not going out there um, trying to bring about death for the galaxy or something like that. You know or or convince everyone just to silently. Um, you know, go back home and, and die or something. He wants to help the, the rebel alliance um, defeat the empire because the empire is built on death. The empire is built on um, on fear and with that, like this kind of hierarchical top-down control that really has no room for significance or individuality. And Luke Skywalker and his band of ragtag misfits um, goes in there and they're going to bring life, you know, and, and you can, you can feel it because, you know, the empire is black and white. They're wearing, you know, um, outfits that destroy individuality that are just about as close to, um, you know, to nothingness as possible, uh, versus the rebels who are, you know, it's Han Solo and Chewbacca and, you know, everybody's like individuals and they're, um, you know, they're dressed the way that they, they like to dress and they all, you know, they're, nobody's, um, claiming to be perfect. Nobody's trying to like establish this uniformity. They're just kind of messy and, um, and lively. Like you feel in that, you know, that here's, here's where some real life is. And so we have that, you know, this real kind of organic life coming up against, um, the power of the empire um, and and willing to sacrifice itself um, to kind of spread the organic life farther, right? So um, I think in those things we see, yeah, you know, Voldemort or the Emperor or Darth Vader, you know, they're although there's a kind of theme where they they're pursuing um, immortality in a sense. Um, the real thing is that, you know, they are actually just pursuing death, really, because they have no, um, you know, their, their vision of immortality is one that gets increasingly narrow until there's just nothing left. That, you know, that's the sense of Darth Vader, right, is, like, is that he allows his humanity to be destroyed, not just physically, which I think maybe we get hung up on, but... He allows his humanity to be destroyed because he he comes to be totally controlled by this force that just destroys everyone around him. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, long, long and short of that is, you know, I see I, I see two different ways of pursuing immortality, uh, two different ways of pursuing the increase of life, and one is a very selfish way, and one is a very heroic, self-sacrificial way, and I think. Um, what we need to do is to say, you know, pursuing immortality is absolutely um, 
the, the thing to do, but the way in which we pursue it and the way in which we conceive of that immortality is incredibly important. And if we lose that sense and it's just, you know, a kind of selfish pursuit uh, at the expense of everyone else, then what lies at the end of that is really just death, not, not life. Um, so that's, that's how I see it. And, um, I, th I think we're, we haven't always been good at telling those stories in the fullest way possible. Um, but that's what I see. Do, would you, does that, like, would you see things that way? Or do you think I'm, I'm off base in how I'm interpreting those stories? No, no, I think, I think you're correct. Um, that, um, yes, I think you're, you're correct. <laughs> so, well, so that, that comes back to like, you know, the, the question of, you know, kind of what death is, um, it, you know, if we recognize death as, as just the, the opposition to life, the thing that opposes life, then, you know, um, what, you know, what, uh, Luke Skywalker and all these people have in common is that they are not, um, they're not content with just a very narrow vision of life, right? They have a very broad sense of what all life entails and all its richness and nuance and depth. And they want all of that to expand, not just kind of one aspect of it, not just the fact that we can now establish a metric and say, oh, well, we lived, you know, um, five more years than, than before. Like, that's not the only thing that's, that's going on here or, or even the most important thing. Um, right. So I think, Oh, sorry. yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, if I had to add, add one thing mm -hmm. was that the good guys always seem to be embracing mystery a little much yeah. more than because they're the ones that are expanding outwards. They're taking risks. They're yeah. saying, I don't know what comes next, but yeah. I believe in it. And let's, let's make, let's make sure the world exists so we can at least find out Yeah. versus the bad guys say, I've got it all figured out. Here it is. You do this thing yeah. and I'm going to, everybody has to do this thing. Yeah. And it's that, that is, that is the difference. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it, the bad guys are trying to eclipse the sun basically. And yeah. um, the good guys say, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. But at the same time, that's what drives the bad guys crazy. And I'm sure you experience this in your own life, probably in <laughs> debates or yeah. gentle arguments with people that you disagree <laughs> with is when you're the type of person who looks at the horizon and sees a mystery and says, I have no idea what's out there, but I, I mm -hmm. like the world being that way mm -hmm. and let's keep pushing that horizon. Let's mm -hmm. just keep it going verse. And then the people who are saying, no, no, you, that's terrifying. That's scary. What, what are you doing? Right. You know, all, all the bad things that could happen. And they're saying, no, if you just, if you would just do this thing, <laughs> then yeah. you'd be okay and you'd be safe. And so they look at the horizon, see all the bad things that could happen. And yeah. whereas we I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm assuming you're you're a horizon guy, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you would see the bad the other guys. I don't want to call them bad guys because they're not. But <laughs> the the other side, um, we see them as eclipsing all the potential good things that could happen. Mm -hmm. But so there is this 
this tension. And um, I think those are the, the stories that if I wanted to change, if I could change anything in these stories is I, I kind of hinted at it is make the bad guys not so bad <laughs> because yeah. they're not, they're not generally, Oh, the bad guys are, you know, yeah, they're, they're just as confused and scared as everybody else. And they have redeemable qualities and they, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. still having a purpose and it might even be a noble purpose. And yeah. so when you have the Darth Vader's and the Voldemort's and the, you know, it's that embodiment of, of Satan, you mm-hmm. know, you've got, that's what, that's what they're trying to say is, Oh, this is the devil. This is yeah. bad. And I think that's one thing that religion um, con- more conservative religions tend to take Satan and make it be this this irreconcilable force that is just so black or white or, you know, it's yeah. one or the other, you know, and it's so, you know, you hear it all, a lot when somebody, you hear it in the news, if somebody, if somebody does something really terrible, mm-hmm. what do you hear people saying is, oh, that person has a demon, that person is just plain evil, you know, you hear these things, it's yeah. never, that person was a human being, he had a mom, he had a dad, he, you know, it's, yeah. so, anyway, I think yeah. that bringing more humanity to the bad guys makes us realize the bad guys within our own selves mm-hmm. <laughs> as well, <laughs> and so it's, because we can cheer for Luke Skywalker all we want, but we realize we're just as much Darth Vader, at least you know, maybe I'm the only one, yeah. but on all those little BuzzFeed quizzes, I'm always Darth Vader every time. So it shows you the truth. You know, that's, that's the thing we can say about BuzzFeed. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, so I would love to, to discuss Satan and all that. Cause I think, you know, one thing that's, you know, about the bad guys is, you know, that the good guys are a- actually, um, they do ultimately offer a sort of redemption for the bad guys. So, like Luke Skywalker, sort of redeems uh, his father. You know, sort of redeems um, Darth Vader. And there's not much um, left at that point. Um, maybe you know he he doesn't have long to live or whatever. But he um, he allows him to have that kind of uh, you know that that experience, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, ultimately, um, although we don't often acknowledge this enough, the, um, the, you know, the good, <laughs> the good side of this is so full of life, it wants to, um, it wants to embrace the, the people who are, you know, intent against that, <laughs> even, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I think there's a lot there. Um, but what I wanted to, like... You, you're talking about the horizon thing. And so this is, um, this really made me think about the latest divergent movie, which I, which is funny because I'm not a divergent person. I'm so sorry. No. So I'm that's, so that's okay. And you know, I, like it's not a great, um, series. I would, I would say, um, uh, you know, just the quality of it is not, um, it's not hunger games, you know, whatever, but 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know the basic premise, and I know the main guy's name is Four, and <laughs> so I, um, that's yeah. So okay, so the uh, here's the the basic um, basic idea is that there's there's this um, this city, and it's surrounded by a wall, and there are you know different um, factions within it, Actually, and right. they have. Um, yeah, I probably am even getting the terminology wrong, but you know they 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 form part of this well-ordered society, and this is how right. society has always operated since the disaster that kind of led them to this situation where they're the last people on earth, and it's just the the them and then the wall, um, you know, holding out the outside chaos, um, and so uh, what happens in this you know, is that you get these divergent characters who, again, are like a ragtag band of, of misfits who kind of go mm-hmm. up against the authoritarian hierarchy that, you know, that keeps this all held together. And um, it becomes very, you know, like as I'm watching it, um, you know, it, uh, it becomes very clear to me that the, uh, that kind of like you said, the, you know, the authoritarian uh, group here is doing the best that they can do with with the way they they understand the world, right? And the way that they understand the world is there's only there's this wall and on the other side of the wall is chaos and what we have to do to preserve the last remnants of humanity is keep society ordered in the best, you know, mm-hmm. in 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 this firm order cuz this is the thing that keeps us safe. And as long as that's the the way that they understand the world, then these people who are threatening to be disruptive, uh, threatening to be kind of a you know uh, an exception to the the well ordered social machine, they need to be dealt with and they need to be disposed of, um, and they can be killed and you know with with impunity because the alternative is just the complete collapse of everything good right. Like they have right. to be eradicated, and um, so within the logic of that of that position, you know the 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 evil people in this story um, are doing the completely right thing, um, you know, f- because they're just trying to save the world. You know, they're just trying to keep the the right. world safe. Um, but the divergent group. Um, you know what they're doing, and and so this struck me so hard when I was watching the the movie. Um, but they never comment on it. It's never kind of made a big deal. But the um, the the divergent people are always looking out over the wall, and they're always kind of thinking, "I think I see something out there. I think there. I think I saw some motion." And they're telling each other stories. You know, I heard one time there was a rumor that someone looked over there and they saw some trees or something like that. And so they have their, you know, what they're doing is they're developing a vision of what might be over the wall, what life might lie out behind, beyond the horizon. And so the, whereas the, um, the people who are authoritarian, you know, hierarchy bad guys, um, they are always enclosed in closed rooms. They never look out. They're never, you know, they're never staring at the horizon. They're always staring inward. 
right? Staring mm -hmm. into the center of this kind of social machine that they've got. But the people who are divergent um, are looking out to the horizon and they have a vision of, you know, even though it's just kind of faint, they have a vision of other possibilities out there. And so, yeah. so from one perspective, they seem like they are trying to destroy society, like they are trying to destroy the world <laughs> that they live in. Mm -hmm. But from the bigger perspective, the one that they're cultivating amongst themselves, they're looking at a bigger world. You know, they're looking beyond the horizon of their particular community and looking, yeah, for, for a vision, you know, looking at all the possibilities that might be out there. And because of that, they're cultivating a very different sort of ethic, an ethic that encourages them to, um, yeah, even if they're very disruptive, to keep looking for something better. And, and, you know, what we ultimately, you know, discover is that, you know, they have the right vision, right? The enclosed kind of cloistered vision of like everything that is real is inside this wall, you know, and that's how things have to be. That's wrong. It's just, it's just incorrect. And it's that cultivation of, of the, the sense of the horizon that draws them to, you know, to pursue life, to pursue the good things, to pursue diversity and all, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, sorry, I just like that, what you said about the, the horizon just really kind of, um, struck me through that, uh, through that movie. So, um, this, this is something that I think, you know, to me is, is such a big deal. Um, and why I think, um, you know, Christian transhumanism has has something to of significance to say here or to add here. But um, but before we jump into that, does does that kind of stuff make make sense, or have I totally lost you with that? Or no, that makes sense, and I think it's a um, in terms of Christianity that you know, there's the imagery, the the stories of you know, Jesus is the good shepherd and you have that idea of being a sheep and that's mm -hmm. a, that's supposed to be the good thing and you are supposed to stay within the fence and be shepherded hmm. and not stray and that's that that's your that's what you're being told over and over and over yeah. again. And I'm not saying I disagree with the sentiments, but I don't think they have to mean Mm -hmm. an actual, you know, an yeah. actual sense. Yeah, I don't right. think they have to mean that because, you know, what, there are the shepherds, there are the people, I mean, they're literally called shepherds or elders or bishops or, you know, yeah. but they're, that's who they are. That's their job is to say, this is how it's supposed to be. And they're protecting everybody and they're doing, they're, 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 you know, um, I can't think of my words right now. So <laughs> they're perpetuating um, a culture. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but you are going to have these divergent people, <laughs> the outliers. Yeah. And you can read Christian history and what happens to the outliers <laughs> yeah. every time. <laughs> yeah. So either they get through and they form their own thing and sometimes they can survive like with the Society of Friends. Somehow, I don't know. Mm -hmm. they, they made it. But most of the time people get crucified or drowned or hung upside down or, you know, something terrible happens to them. So, yeah. but 
but why? Why does that happen? Because to me, I think, um, you know, I think, why can't the gatekeepers just hold open the door? Why can't, you yeah. know, somebody says, oh, I don't belong here, or I like it here. That does, I mean, when you're a Horizon person, the circle, the inner circle is still part of your right. world. You know, yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean you, you're not negating it. You're not saying it's wrong. It's just, hey, can I, can I step out? Can, <laughs> there's, mm-hmm. there's more. <laughs> so, yeah. But the gatekeepers can't do that. And I'm, I'm not a, like I said, I don't know anything beyond the basic premise of the Divergent series. But I'm assuming the reason they can't just let the Divergents go is because the people are afraid that what happens is the Divergents get out and then they bring the bad stuff back in. And yeah. I think that is where we see that within Christianity often is people don't, the gatekeepers, the shepherds do not want to let go mm-hmm. because what happens if you go, you get out there and you bring something bad back in. Yeah. Um, so they either want to let you out and shut the gate and not let you back in because mm-hmm. you might not, <laughs> or not let you out at all. Yeah. And it's very frustrating when <laughs> you are looking at the horizon but you, and you're looking inside too, and you want the freedom to run back and forth. And mm-hmm. that seems to not be possible. <laughs> I mean, I know it's possible, yeah. but it doesn't seem to be um, easy. <laughs> yeah. So, I think, yeah. So, well, so what I, you know, what I think of that, and I, you know, I don't know if there's a, if ultimately there's an answer, you know, at, at the ultimate level, like I think we're always going to have kind of revolutions. And with that, there's going to be, you know, casualties, um, you know, and, and so, you know, Jesus was a casualty of, of his revolution. Right. Um, and, and the fact that that wasn't, you know, that wasn't, uh, acceptable at that moment. Right. Um, but so, yeah, I think, you know, I think that always, will go on to some extent, but, um, you know, what we can do to kind of help, um, is we can, uh, we can cultivate, um, kind of communities with imagination. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's hard, but I think, you know, it's something we could do a lot better at. Um, so, kind of kind of segueing uh into um something that's a big theme for me um and kind of tying back to to you know you you kind of brought up the question of ethics and all that how we approach things with uh, from an ethical perspective so um to me at the core of you know Jesus says um the you know when asked the greatest commands right he has an answer for that, and I think Jesus' answer is kind of the core of his ministry. How he 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 understands his own ministry, um, and so it, you know it's the ethical core of Christianity. Um, and and his answer is, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, and uh, and so yeah, we call these the you know the great the greatest commands or the the great commandments or or something like that, and we have a couple of different songs that <laughs> that we sing uh, about those over and over and over yeah over, yeah lots of <laughs> lots of uh repeats um and uh 
so you know on, on the surface or at kind of first blush those sound like two different commands love god and love love your neighbor but i actually hear three commands in that um and um and uh and other people talk about some other kind of things that are implied there um one, one thing that people talk about is love your neighbor as yourself implies you need to love yourself um right. and so I, I i agree with that um but the three things that I hear in there are um, love, love God um, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. And um, what that means to me, or how that translates to me, is that we need to have, we need to anchor ourselves to the transcendent. First of all, we need to. Uh, pursue coherence with um, among ourselves, uh, within ourselves, um, and then we need to um, turn that energy and that impulse uh, to making the world around us better. Um, and so we're saying, you know, in in saying love, love the Lord your God, we have to have, we, we have to identify and connect ourselves to something that is beyond, um, all of our current imaginings. And when we say with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're saying we need, uh, uh, we need our, our mentality and our physicality and our spirituality to all sync up. Like we need to be able to connect our faith and our reason and our our efforts to making the world better. Like all these things need to to be connected so that we can be whole people. Um, and then what that's going to result in is um, allowing us to better able to uh, serve those around us and minister to those around us. Does that uh, does that make sense? I know that's like. Th- throwing something probably sounds left field or something like that, but no, no, it, it makes sense, and I I understand it, and I I can I see the imagery. Um, I'm just I know in conversations I've had when I say anything that sounds like oh I'm anchoring in the transcendent or something mm-hmm. that sounds like when I'm having conversations, it's, that sounds, they're like, it sounds so paradoxical or, Hmm. or not even paradoxical. It's an oxymoron. They're like, how can you anchor yourself in something (laughs) that, you know, like it's not there. So there, you know, you've got to be grounded in the truth. You've got to be, you know, the the rock that doesn't move, the tree beside the water, you know, the, that I shall not be moved thing that it's got to be something you can sink your teeth in. And then you hear, um, John four, it's the four twenty four. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the you know you shall know the truth, and the truth will yeah, set yeah. you free. You know you that you will know these things, and it's gonna. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. And when I have these conversations, to say things like anchor in the transcendent, which I get, and I. I know exactly what I'm saying, and I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But when I have these conversations, they're saying, "Well, that's just theoretical. That's just how mm-hmm. can you explain that? That's that's just your feelings. That's just, you know." And I'm, yeah. of course, I'm insulted by that. <laughs> you know, it never goes well. Right. So, um, huh. But I'm trying. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. 
I'm trying to figure out how, because I feel like ultimately we're all, we are seeing the same thing. We are wanting the same thing for each other. But, and I feel like we're all going the same direction. Like we all want to go the same direction. We just, Hmm. I don't know. It's, I, I see people standing in a circle point looking inward yeah. And I see myself looking outward and, but at the same time, like, I think we're looking at the same thing. So I know that yeah. sounds weird too, but, um, so the idea of anchoring, yeah, I don't know. I see it as like a, a I, I say this to people often when, you know, you hear the slippery slope thing. It's like, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, if you go out this way, who knows you're going to go down this way. And I, I say the slippery slope is a circle. And yeah. we're going to meet somewhere anyway. <laughs> you know, it goes both ways. How about you slide that way? I slide this way. And we're going to meet up somewhere. So just, and so when you, I think of kind of this imagery that you're creating with the anchoring in the transcendent, I imagine a sphere and then maybe a dot on hmm. the sphere. And that dot is like where everybody's supposed to be. Hmm. And you're tossing out an anchor and it's going all the way around and it's in and right back up in the black thought so <laughs> i mean i that's kind of how i see it so huh. i think we're all i'm i'm okay with going all the way around the world to, to, <laughs> to, to get back yeah, where i started yeah. and and i think we've, we've had this conversation before is that everything is circular we're all get, we're all ending up where we where we were when we were in seventh grade or something like that so <laughs> that's, so um but that's yeah. a whole other conversation too but yeah. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I forget where I was going with that, but that's, yes, that's well, the yeah. anchor in the transcendent thing is how do I have these conversations without right. sounding just like I'm drowning and people yeah. want to save me, you know, they're like, Oh yeah. no, you're just, you're, you're just holding on to nothing. You're, and mm-hmm. they want to reel me back in and that's just kind of, yeah, know, well, that's, that's not yeah, so there's so many different like pieces of that. I, I, another thing I would kind of draw in here from the New Testament is um, Paul. Paul says, um, you know, in Galatians three twenty eight, uh, in Christ there is no uh, Jew nor Greek, uh, slave nor free, um, male nor female. Um, and uh, in saying that, he's saying that all of these kind of identity categories that um, that the, the world of his time is built on, right, um, are, are irrelevant. That's not the true identity, right? He's, he's saying, mm-hmm. in, you know, in Christ, there's, there's the true identity. And, um, and so all of these kind of concrete markers of what identity is, you know, the things that make that society run, the things that are obvious and, you know, you can kind of hold to and, and all that kind of stuff. That's not where the real thing is. Right. And as, as when you read Paul, like, and, and say, okay, so Paul, where is the real identity? What is the real identity? And his answer is it's the spirit. Like it's, it's, um, being empowered by the spirit of God um, which is fundamentally an open-ended thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's fundamentally um, this thing that you can't uh, control, you can't, um, 
you know, you can't bottle, you can't kind of figure out where exactly it's going to end up. All you know is it's going to keep moving, keep going farther and farther, going outwards, growing, and, um, you know, and so forth. And right, that, that's the things that they say in the New Testament about it, right? This is the thing Jesus says about, you know, the Spirit. It goes where it wills, and you don't, you don't know where it's going. Right. Um, and so, uh, Paul's saying that that's where human identity comes from. It's that it's that breath of God, you know. And, and going back to Genesis, um, God breathes mm-hmm. into humanity His Spirit. That's that's the identity of humanity. Is it's coming directly from God, and it's His Spirit, and that Spirit empowers us to to be creative, to create new things, to cultivate new life, to explore, to go out into the world. And whenever in the Scriptures. Um, humanity gets stopped up or bottled up or, you know, um, caught behind a wall, then God comes in and bursts a wall down. You know, like this is the, 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 um, motif, uh, the theme of, of all these scriptural stories is God is going to break down this wall because his spirit is going to keep moving. Um, right. So yeah, you see it in judges and then you see it at the crucifixion and yeah. yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the crucifixion, the the temple uh, curtain is is even torn, mm-hmm. right? You know, the the presence of God right. is inside the temple. Well, the presence of God is not going to stay in the temple anymore. Right, right? right. It's it's going to come out into the world, and you're not going to be able to find it by saying it's in this wall or in that wall or or right. whatever. Um. So right. that was a. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that for me, and as a Christian. That was a defining moment for me when I realized the 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 temple, the mm-hmm. veil tearing. That realizing that it's not about what's inside the temple. That mm-hmm. the whole point is that came down. Yeah. And your my job is to leave the temple basically, and to say this is mm-hmm. not leave forever, but you know what I mean. That yeah, I can come and go, and um. Yes, that was a that was a yeah. that was a defining moment in my aha moment, I guess, um, in <laughs> yeah. my in my faith. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it makes sense, and you know, in, in you know, Paul talks essentially. You take the temple with you, right? Like because mm-hmm. the you know the spirits the spirits going with you, and uh, you know, bringing yeah. that kind of that thing out into the out into the world. So, um, yeah, so look. You know, let me try to like connect this um, a little bit more concretely. Um, right, so, <laughs> which was the whole point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, so in saying this, like, you know, if I'm kind of going to translate um, that, you know, what what we just said, the the greatest commands, the the three things of you know, we need we need transcendence, we need coherence um, in ourselves. And we need um, outward uh, focus to, you know, to to do things to make the world better. Those are the three things we need. Um, I think that in you know making those those kind of the greatest commands, Jesus is uh, is actually showing us what humanity is like, what human you know right. humanity needs in order to work. And so I you know we can kind of get a rough uh, secular analog of this, which is that we need to be able to. You know, or at least we can we can kind of diagnose um, uh, you know a, a similar problem in, in the secular world, which is um, 
you know, in, in just in general, humans need to have uh, vision and imagination for something that's beyond their current uh, situation. Um, that's number one. Two, they need to be able to be uh, whole individuals. They don't need, they, you know, it doesn't ultimately work when you divide up your, your um, sense of, you know, your spiritual duty or your family duty or your work life or all these kinds of things. And uh, particularly, it doesn't work when you divide up your sense of like uh, what you think about science and what you think about religion and all those kind of things into like right. different boxes. So, um, so we need vision and imagination. We need uh, coherence. And then we need to um, be able to actively help uh, those around us actively make uh, the world better. And so um, I think, uh, you know, what that looks like, what we kind of need uh, as a society is that we need um, an imaginative vision for possible futures we need to uh, creatively try to uh, solve the problems that are looming in front of us. And then we need immediate efforts um, on, on the things around us. And I think whenever we, we miss one of those things, then, then things go poorly. Um, and um, so, so an example of this is, is a group that's kind of connected with the transhumanist movement. Um, um, called effect, effective altruism uh, or effect, the effective altruists and their whole idea is uh, you know it's a, it, that's a mostly atheist uh, probably entirely atheist movement as well um, their, their sense is that they can figure out the, the best ways to do kind of charity work or do good in the world um, mathematically and they can they can just ca kind of calculate the best things to do, and then do that regardless of how people feel about it. And so what that what that leads them to this kind of ultra rationalist um, approach to to charity is to say, okay, well, um, arts and music and literature are a waste of time because those have very little economic benefit, and people are starving. Um, so the things that we should do is become lawyers or uh, corporate executives, other highly paid professionals, so that we can make as much money as possible, and then use as much of that money um, to you know make sure that people are getting food. And um, that means that you know when we consider how many people are suffering, you know that means that we should be willing to. Um, you know, live an incredibly ascetic, like stringent lifestyle, uh, all the while pursuing you know highly paid corporate jobs, um, and uh, and do this. And so that's a really interesting idea. You know, it's really interesting to say, okay, let's let's see what the most effective use of our time is and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, I think it it leads to a very destructive outcome, which is that they've said. You know, people who um, might have a talent for music should not be using their talent for music. They should use all that free time to be, you know, working hard, making money. And people who are artists should not be making art. And people who um, are writers should not be writing. And um, they say all this is a waste of time because mathematically, um, you know, the, the thing to do is how many uh, pieces of food can you buy 
for, uh, you know, how many people, um, with how many hours of your time. And, um, and the problem is I don't think that's sustainable. I don't think it's sustainable for individuals. I don't think it's sustainable for communities. I don't think it's ultimately sustainable for the world. Um, because we actually do need art and music and, um, and literature, right? Like, you know, it doesn't seem as pressing as food when you're starving. And yet, um, you know, and, and yet we still need that. People who are starving right. still need that. Right. Right. Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, is, mm-hmm. I, it sounds nice, but it's, it's ultimately, yeah. I, have you read, um, the fault in our stars or no, I, haven't. I haven't seen the movie, but, um, the, one of the main characters at Hazel, she says something cause she, she has cancer and mm-hmm. she's says, um, you know, she, she's heard about, Oh, you got to meet your needs first. And the, you know, people who are sick, they can't, They can't appreciate art. They don't need art. They don't need, they can't have this expression, self-expression. All they need is to be, to be healed, you know? And she's like, that's crap. That's, (laughs) no, that's not who I am. And she doesn't know anybody like that. And she's surrounded by sick people because she's in these support groups and things. And so the people who are saying those things are not the people who are sick, who are right. starving. You know, ask a starving pe- person. Yeah, they want food. Absolutely. But they also want relationships. They want mm-hmm. beauty. They want, they want the same things we do. We're not fundamentally right. different. Right. You know, yeah. and it's, I mean, the same thing, I think Stephen Colbert said something about, you know, we, we get hung up on like food stamps. Like, mm-hmm. oh, a person who was on food stamps, they shouldn't be buying ice cream with the food stamps. And we're like, right. why not? Why right. Why not? We right. buy, I buy ice cream. With <laughs> right. my, you know, why can't they do that? And I know, yeah. It's, so it's that same, yeah. same idea. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was, um, I, th- this was r- really, uh, I, you know, I, I never did this. But when, when I was traveling um, and I was in uh, Nepal uh, several years ago, this was mm-hmm. before the you know, kind of recent earthquake and all that. But, um, uh, so, you know, in Nepal, when I was there in 2012, um, they would have, uh, they would only have electricity a certain number of hours a day and it would, and then it would cut off. And because they didn't have it all the time, they couldn't have refrigeration. And because they couldn't have refrigeration, you know, they had to buy food every day. Um, you couldn't have, you know, you couldn't buy in bulk. You couldn't have, um, food in your pantry, you know, like, or, or much food anyway. Um, and so it really had a huge effect on, you know, their, their economy and their lifestyle. It really restricted it in a lot of ways. Um, and what was so amazing to me in this, in this, uh, situation is that I would talk to some of these teenagers and they would tell about, you know, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't like this, that we only have electricity some of the time. Um, because that means we can only be on Facebook, uh, a few hours a day. <laughs> and, um, and that was so, so remarkable to me because, you know, in this, in this environment where, you know, like you can't get a cold drink, you can't have, um, a lot of different kinds of food. Like, uh, you know, the, the, um, level of, of, economic, you know, lifestyle is incredibly low compared to, 
um, our world and, or, you know, the first world, I guess. And, um, and, and yet these kids are, are concerned about like the same sorts of, of things that teenagers here would be concerned about. Like, can I connect right. with my friends? You know, can I get on Facebook and post something? Um, and so I wanted to, for a while, I wanted to start like a series of tweets called uh, third world problems because we, mm-hmm. we have, you know, They're like, the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're exactly the same. And, you know, we, I mean, it's, it's good that we're, we're aware that first world problems, you know, we're very privileged people and, you know, these, these problems are, um, you know, seem kind of inconsequential next to, you know, being hungry and not having access to electricity and so forth. And yet the people who, who deal with that still have the same exact sorts of problems, right? They still have the same, um, desires that, uh, that rich people do. And, um, and so it's, it, yeah, it's really limiting and, and I think ultimately, um, disempowering to, for us to kind of, um, step back and say, well, the only thing we need to focus on is, you know, this one aspect, like, oh, these people need food. They're basically, they're just mouths, right? Like all they need is, is for us to mm-hmm. figure out a way to funnel bread to them, you know? And in fact, you know, all humans are much more complex and nuanced than that. And, and so that's, that's sort of what I'm, I'm getting at is like, um, it is, we need to solve problems at all these levels. We need to start with a recognition that, that we are, you know, complex, uh, multifaceted, multidimensional creatures. And that just addressing kind of a one dimensional aspect of our lives is not sufficient and it's not sustainable, and it ultimately doesn't lead to to positive things. And so, so we need that sense of not just the fact that we can create better bread lines or soup kitchens or something like that, but also that we might be able to um, step foot on the moon. You know, we we need those bigger ideas. We need the bigger imagination and vision to go along with. Um, you know, the fact that we're working on hunger and that we're working on poverty and that we're working on all those things. And those things shouldn't be um, intention or, you know, destructive to each other. Those should empower each other. And I think when we, when we lose that, then we actually end up not being able to help uh, people very much at all. And, and we can lose that from, from both sides. We can lose it with, like I said, the, you know, the effective altruists, maybe they, they lose the ability to think about the bigger things that are possible. They lose the ability to think about the full depth and complexity of human life. They lose the uh, ability to really um, impact and inspire people. And on the other hand, there are there are futurists who are absolutely so um, caught up in you know their their vision of what is going to happen in the future that they are unconcerned with what's going on right now. And they're not interested in feeding people. And they're not interested in, in clothing people. And so I think um, doing something good has to start with that kind of multidimensional sense of what we are and what we need and, um, you know, and, and kind of where we find ourselves uh, in, in the cosmos. So I, I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? 
I'm kind of all over the place yes. here, right? Yes. No, it does make sense. Um, like with the effective altruism, you, you've got these, the people who are essentially deciding they are the ones who are going to have the money. If mm. they get all the money, like their ultimate goal is I'm going to get all the money in the world so I can redistribute it. Right. And, and that sounds nice that, oh, I'm going to live this aesthetic lifestyle. If that's what you want to do, that's how you want to live is to live like right. that. That's great. But the people who are poor don't want to live like that. Right. right. <laughs> I, I doubt they want to live like that. Right. And so, um, I think it reminds me of in the new Testament or talking about letting the poor people, they said, let them sit in the high places, mm. let them be first. Why is that so important? We hear this over and over again. You know, mm -hmm. the last shall be first, the first shall be last. And, and mm -hmm. you know, don't let the rich people take all the good seats. And the, the other, you know, why, yeah. why is that a big deal? And I think it's important because those are the people who need to be on the panels. Those, yeah. If those are the people who are, were serving, who were, then they need to be the ones making the decisions about what happens to them. Yeah. And, and empowering them. That's what the word empowering means. Empowering doesn't just mean, okay, you're surviving. Right. I'm helping you survive. No, empowering means you have the power to make decisions about what happens to you and what is good for you and what you want to experience in your life. Right. And so, yes, I, I, I get that very mm -hmm. much. There was another thought I had, but I can't think of what I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like your vision of the uh, or your your example of the ice cream. You know, like you know, absolutely. Like <laughs> we we need yeah we need um, you know our staples and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I think most of us ha have a pretty hard time um, surviving and feeling okay psychologically if all we're doing is kind of you know survival, right? Like we have right. to engage in, in something else, something that kind of brings right. joy or, or some sense of, of something beyond, you know, just kind of our routines, right? And so whether that's ice cream or going to the movies or, um, you know, w whatever it is, like we, we can't just, um, you know, kind of do the, the, um, the basics, you know, that we always think about when it comes down to, you know, food stamps and all, all that kind of stuff. It absolutely right. makes Which, sense. I mean, they're both necessary. Yeah. And, but there are two sides of the same coin. Like mother Teresa and NASA mm -hmm. are dependent on each other. They're, yeah. I mean, you know, you yeah. can't, you can't have vision if yep. you're not fed, but you can't have the vision to do the things that requires feeding the hungry and taking care of yeah. the poor of Calcutta without the people who are out there looking beyond, you know, yeah. they're, they're, um, I, of course now I have this vision of mother Teresa in a space suit, but that's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yes. <laughs> Someone needs to work on that. Um, yes. <laughs> nuns in space. Um, yes. Nuns in space. Yeah. That, that's what we need. It is. And, so it absolutely is. I, and so, you know, just as an imaginative future scenario, you know, if we think about like sending out um, spacecraft, you know, to, to other planets, to potentially other star systems, things like that, um, a lot of those voyages are long, you know, would, would just mm -hmm. by nature be long voyages. 
you know, what if um, in, in the future that becomes a, a sort of monastic um, choice that that some people make? Right. You know, is to commit themselves to. Yeah, it's a it's a path that not all of, of humanity is is willing to take or you know is prepared to take, and that's great. Um, but there are some people who are suited for it, who are suited for that. Um, you know that level of of just kind of you know what whatever it is, isolation or or exploration or, or danger or whatever. And uh, so yeah, I can I can totally we should totally make a a, a TV series about this. Um, Nuns in Space, there's our title. It sounds like it should be in the 60s. I'm, I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's happening. There we go. Nuns in Space. There you go. So right. I, I, I love it. Um, so, yeah, like <laughs> I, I totally agree. And I think, I think this is something, you know, like I said, I think we have to start with a, a sense of, you know, uh, solving this, solving problems really multidimensionally. And I think this is something Christianity does really, really well, is it understands that we are these multidimensional creatures. And so, you know, Christianity's way of dealing with the fact that there are, you know, poor in the world and hungry and starving and all these kinds of things is to connect our work to help those people with this great cosmic vision of what God is doing in the world, right? And this vision of transformation. And so, you know, the the Christian vision of the the um, direction of the cosmos and like where all this is heading is not a small scale thing, right? It's it's a big thing, you know. Where um, and the the images used to describe it, like in Revelation and so forth, are are um, massive, massive images. Um, you know, the closest, par- closest parallels we have today are like Marvel superhero movies, right. but, um, you know, things are, things are blowing up and all kinds of stuff is happening. Um, but the, the vision is that, you know, that, um, yeah, you know, God is out to, uh, bring life to the, the cosmos to, to eradicate death, um, and hell and Hades to beat these back from, uh, from the world and um, and so you know that's going to uh, result in this grand transformation of of you know the heavens and the earth, like the entire the entire universe is going to be transformed by this this thing. Like so, this is this is the opposite of a, a small scale vision, and <laughs> the way that this gets framed is is. Uh, you know, Paul in First Corinthians fifteen talks about. You know, he's like uh, he's talking about the resurrection of the dead, and so it begins with. And, and, and Paul says, you know, it's a it's a process. There's, you know, it happens in uh, in order, and that order is that it starts with Jesus rising from the dead, and then that that resurrection kind of extends to Christians, and then ultimately it extends to all creation, and. Um, and so he's seeing this process that unfolds over time, and that that process that unfolds over time has um, has us playing a role right at the center of it. Right? We are experiencing resurrection. We experience it. We then, you know, like we engage in um, transforming the world around us, and. Um, and so, you know, Jesus commissions his his disciples to go out and and feed the hungry and heal the sick and bring life to the dead. You know, and so it's it's incredibly ambitious, um, and yet 
the concrete focus of it right this moment is feeding the poor or helping someone out who's in prison or, um, you know, in James, uh, caring for the orphans and widows, right? And so the whole New Testament connects this, um, you know, these very concrete actions, the things we normally think of as charity work, you know, with this right. grand unfolding of, of resurrection in the cosmos, in the, in the scheme of life. And so um, I think that's something that, that Christianity does very well, is that it attaches concrete things to vision. And it doesn't let us let go of any of those, right? We can't get rid of the mm-hmm. vision because that's, that's, that's our metaphysics. That's what's happening, right? Right, that's, right. That's our understanding of, of where we find ourselves in the world. Um, and, and we can't get rid of the action um, of helping people because that's our way of participating in it. That's our piece of this right this moment, right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's something that um, uh, is, is so right and, and is something that I think secular transhumanism um, can't quite get to. Um, just uh, almost by because of a, a sort of failure of, of imagination. And I, I don't mean that it kind of um, really criticizing, um, but I just think it's, it, it can't quite bridge that gap. And, right. um, and because of that, it's, you know, I, um, I mean, millions, billions of people are inspired by the Christian uh, vision of, of things. And um, to some degree, anyway, um, and and there's a reason for that. You know, we 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 need to, we have that need to to attach the concrete actions to the bigger picture and to understand like what this means. You know, um, right? And I think it's when you can have the two volleying back and forth, mm-hmm. where you know, science and religion, yeah not mutually exclusive, but not necessarily having to mesh completely, mm-hmm. but you can, you have that, you know, I believe theology is the, stu- is, is the study of imagination. I mean, you are imagining hmm. a mystery, yeah. and that's why I study it, is it's hmm. fun, yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and yeah. it makes me, it, it inspires me to do the concrete things. It helps me complete a vision and not just sit around thinking about right. what's going to happen to me after my di- after I die. Right. This is, this is, I'm going to do something, you know? Yeah. And, um, but when you have the volley back and forth with, you know, science, it takes imagination to mm-hmm. make the discoveries. You, you can follow the scientific method all day long, but it's not the people following the scientific me- method who right. are making the big discoveries, you right. know. It's got to be somebody who shoots in the dark and says, what what happens? What Let's see, you yeah. know. And and that that comes from, that's a religion of sorts. Yeah. And, but what what you see in the world a lot today is, the clear divide that says, no, you know, there's, we, there is no, there is nothing between us. It's, this is science and this is religion. And when you, when you keep 
when you lose that back and forth, it's that's when I think mm-hmm. that's when a lot of dis- death and destruction happens. Yeah. Is you lose your vision, you lose your ability to make new things, and yeah. and so yes, I yeah, I that, think that's that's such a yeah, good keep the game going. Yeah, that's so, sorry. <laughs> no, that, that's so good. Like that's such a good kind of capturing of that idea is yeah and you're right like science um the scientific method is amazing um and it's premised on somebody coming up with a crazy idea to start with Mm -hmm. you know and and einstein wasn't amazing because he knew how to apply the scientific method einstein was amazing because he dreamed up scenarios that other people hadn't thought to think about you know right and asked asked big questions about uh, about what that meant, you know, like what if I'm in an elevator that's falling and I can't tell the difference between that and and this other thing, and you know what it, what does that mean? And so that allowed him to reconceive the entirety of how the universe works. That's you know that's the amazing thing, right? Right. And then people went out and tested that, and that's awesome because we you know we need to test that um, that kind of stuff. But it it starts with imagination. It starts with uh, being able to, um, yeah, think think big thoughts, and and I am, you know, I do worry that to some extent, as we, you know, as some of us buckle down on these things and say no, you know, uh, imagination or vision or religion has no place in science, that we <laughs> that we then uh, begin to lose our ability to actually do science. Um, right. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's a, that's a possibility if, if we're not, um, if we're not more careful. So, um, so yeah, there, there's kind of that, there's kind of a middle ground there, um, in between, uh, you know, envisioning the, the, the possibility, you know, the huge possibilities, um, and then, you know, the, the con- concrete action of kind of running a soup kitchen or something like that. Somewhere in between there is a middle ground of, of creative problem solving where we say, you know, um, rather than just feeding the people who happen to have lined up here on this particular day, what could we do to actually change this whole dynamic? What could we do mm-hmm. to make there not have to be people who need to, you know, line up for uh, soup from a soup kitchen or whatever, you know, like what can change this, um, this whole scenario and that without that kind of bigger vision, I think we, we don't, uh, we don't tend to look at that, that middle ground either. Like we don't tend to say, oh, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. There are other possibilities. Um, and, and what I think is really difficult is to figure out how we begin to go about that that problem solving. How do we start to say, yeah, what can we do so that people um, aren't hungry, or you know, we don't have people in our community who um, have to have this help, but actually could you know um, could be totally uh, independent and self sufficient. Like what what would have to change in our world for the for that to become a possibility. And, um, uh, you know, the, yeah, I, you know, we need more work in that area, I think. Um, 
and we we need we need work in all those areas. But that's where uh, I don't I don't know. I think that's that's where the the big things uh, need to happen right now is we need to say you know yeah what could be very different about um, about our world very different about how our society is approaching things. What could we change and what what impacts might that have um so you know ultimately that's that's one of my hopes is that we can you know so, some of all of this talking <laughs> that, I, <laughs> right. that i that i love to engage in um can come down to uh some of us you know developing new ideas that uh we might go out and try out and see and some of them will not work and some of them will and but maybe a few of those ideas will dramatically um, improve the quality of life for a lot of people. Um, right. And that, it's all about that big conversation. Mm-hmm. Keep it going. Yeah. And I mean, it's easy to say, "Oh, I'm just talking," but there are things. I mean, we personally, for me, that's the intersection of my work is, is yeah. or what I do is just keep the conversation going. And it's not all talk. There are things happening. But I do feel a sense of duty to, I'm reading these things. I've read stories that have affected me and inspired me and motivated me to do yeah. real things, you know. And and what do I do with that? I feel like, okay, well, then I need to write stories too. I need to yeah. keep this going. I need to, I feel like there's a response is required and so, yes, we're here talking, but who knows? Nuns in space might change the world. Right. We don't know. That's, that's <laughs> so, <right. laughs> so there's, I, I think talking, although it is, you know, like there is a point where I'm just, you know, I get sick of myself. I'm like, okay, because <laughs> I can talk all day. Right. And, and I do just want to do something. I'm a very kinesthetic person. I'm like, let's, let's make something happen. But, yeah. um, but at the same time, that sitting and being and thinking is, is important, just as important. And, um, so mm-hmm. yes, I, yeah. I, I would not discount the talking at all. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think it is, it is necessary. And, um, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, my, like I said, just to kind of keep, keep coming back to this, but I, I think, um, the the big things that that can change that can happen in our world um, are going to be um, created by people who are, are kind of opening their minds in this way, who are you know being inspired to be more imaginative. Um, I think you know I don't I don't know you know it's uh, big questions about creativity how do you come up with something new how do you create something that hasn't ever been been before and I don't know what the answer to that is but you know at least part of the answer is like you have to be open to it <laughs> you, right if you have to ask the question you're yeah. yeah it's kind of when somebody says how how can I be more creative it's I right. don't know how to answer that right um I feel like there's something else that needs to be done first before you can even ask, I, I don't know, to get yeah. you to the point where you don't have to ask that question. I know that sounds really. <laughs> it's a very artist, <laughs> very artisty answer there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is a very artisty answer, but at the same time, I believe everybody can be creative. I don't believe that there's just this, Oh, you're a creative person. Right. No, there's just, 
there's just the idea of, for me, I would say just having more experiences. Just mm-hmm. If you have more dots co- to connect, then naturally you're going to be able to make more connections. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that I know yeah. that sounded very obvious, <laughs> but... <laughs> no, it's good. That's um, good, yeah. So, so yeah, just just keep doing things and keep and keep messing up and keep failing and mm-hmm. and just and eventually something will happen and yeah but, this this but, um this ragtag band of misfits will you know yes yes the your empire. disciples your yes <laughs> <laughs> right all the yeah just keep it <laughs> running around in your in your rusty old spaceship and right Let's just see where it goes. That's so a, yeah. yeah, you you gotta have that. <laughs> um, awesome. So let's. Uh, yeah, man. Um, we we didn't get to uh, talking about practical uh, effects of life <laughs> life extension, and I want to come back to that. So um, I, I'd love to talk about the actual like technologies that people are talking about and, wh- and what that might mean and what the ethics of that are and and all that kind of stuff and I'm, I'm working on some other I'm working on some um, articles about that as well so yeah let's come back and talk about that but I want to leave um, with uh, uh, since since we're <laughs> presumably trying to talk about how to be practical here I wanted to leave mm-hmm. with um, uh, one one practical thing uh, that people can do which is, um, if you want to go to uh, christiantranshumanism.org slash embrace, um, we're, we're, we're working on uh, the Christian Transhumanist Association. Um, we've been talking to uh, this, this group of people called uh, Con Embrace. They uh, build um, these really interesting uh, kind of, uh, it's high technology, you know, they've, they've kind of created this innovative technology um, it's an infant warmer, so a lot of a lot of children uh, die in childbirth, um, or die shortly after childbirth, or are, have their lives endangered because um, because they don't have the proper facilities and so forth. And so these are a very um, really interesting way to address that problem for a lot of people in the developing world. Uh, that don't have a lot of medical technology. It doesn't require, you know, unlike incubate, normal incub- incubators or anything like that, it doesn't require electricity or power or any of that kind of stuff. It's it's a great little kind of piece of tech that can be uh, deployed inexpensively in a lot of places and save lives with that. So um, uh, we're, we're working on some, uh, some uh, stuff to do with them in the future, uh, but for now, you can just go there, uh, christiantranshumanism.org slash embrace, and that's something you can um, you know, easily make a donation to and something practical that uh, you could do right now. So there you go. That's, that's one of the, uh, we, we gave you some vision. We gave you <laughs> a lot of <laughs> ideas, and, uh, and then maybe uh, at least one thing you could uh, potentially do to um, have a kind of practical takeaway. So any, any last thoughts or words, Amy? No, I mean, I have thoughts for next time, yeah. but but yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but okay. no, no, that's great. I'll check out the website. Okay. All right. Well, let's do it. Talk to you later. All right. See ya.